0: Good morning. Good to see you guys. So this is Palm Sunday, and you guys ready for a Palm Sunday message? When Jesus laid his hands on people, he used his palms. There you go. All right, so we are in a healing. Come on. Yeah, so we are in a healing series. We are on part 21. We're looking at the 26 healing miracles of Jesus. Let me tell you a parable that happened yesterday. It's a real story. I'm going to turn into a parable, but all of it's true. Some of you may know I've uh, recently began playing table tennis again. So I've never been really good, but uh, I'm like, yeah, I'd kind of like to get better. So I've been taking some lessons and stuff. So I've entered, I've entered three tournaments so far. I've lost every match of all the tournaments. <clears throat> but, um, but yesterday I won a couple games. And, um, and so I've been, so here's the thing. So there's a ranking in the table tennis world. And so the higher the ranking, the better you are. So it's like if you're number one, that's not like good. That's like you're the worst, right? So, like, professionals are, like, ranked 2,500. It's like chess. So there's, um, so there's a lot of people that are ranked in the 2,000. The lowest division, they, pract- they um, play on Sundays in the tournament, so I can't go. So I have to play in higher divisions. And so I'm playing people a lot better than me. And so I've kind of gone on with the attitude, I'm going to get my butt kicked anyway, I'll just get better, right? Like, this is been my attitude. Like, i I got nothing to lose, I'm going to, you know, these people are all better than me. And so, um, according to my faith, so has it been unto me, <clears throat> right? <laughs> so... Uh, last tournament before yesterday, I played. And um, someone didn't show up. I was like, sweet. Like, I'm gonna, this is kind of like a win. Like, like, you know, It's like, like a forfeiture. And um, all of a sudden, the guy showed up. And they said, hey, Sean's here. And I said, oh, hey, Sean, nice to meet you. They said, no, um, Sean is my son. And it was like this camera panning down. And it was this six-year-old child <laughs> that I'm playing against. And he puts out his fist for a fist bump. It looked like a little lollipop coming at me. <laughs> I thought, you got to be kidding me. And so... <clears throat> Sean beat me, but um, <laughs> without being racist, he was Asian, okay? I mean, so, like, we got baby rattles. I think they got ping pong paddles when they're in the little crib, you know? So humiliating, you know? And so, um, so yesterday I show up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm probably getting my butt kicked. And so I played in the, uh, the under 1,000 division. I'm not going to tell you where my ranking is. It's, uh, there's like a white belt in karate. Mine's like translucent. It's like a translucent belt, <laughs> hoping for the white belt. When I told one, so they usually ask you, like, hey, where are you ranked? And so I, I told the guy, and he, this is literally what he said. He, when he, he said my rank, he's like, don't you just get that for holding the paddle correctly? I was like, <laughs> like one of these days, I'm going to whip your butt. <laughs> anyway, in the name of Jesus. And so... Um, so I, so I played in the under 1,000 division, and, you know, I lost every, every game. And I, but I was thinking, you know, there, I, should, I, I could have actually won all these games. Now There's, there's like, you know, multiple people in the round robins. I couldn't have beat all of them, but the people I played, I'm like, I think I could have beat them, but, you know, they I, I got the best of me. This one guy kept doing, like, the spin move. He would shoot it and, like, spin around, and, like, he had his friends recording him. I'm going to whip his butt someday. Anyway, in the name of Jesus. And so... Um, so under 1,000, so my, the, the guy I've been taking lessons from, he's like, Jim, why don't you play in two divisions? So now I'm playing in the under 1,200 division. So these these guys and gals are all incredible. So I'm playing in a harder division. And so uh, there was about two hours in between uh, when, when I finished up. And so the coach comes over to me. He's like, um, how'd you do? And I told him. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, I, I watched you play in Brandon, the spinning guy. And um, he's like, he's a high-pressure player. And he's like, you were on defense the whole time. He's like, he's like that's not your game. Sitting there. Playing defense, he's like he's just going to eventually overwhelm me. He's like that's what happened. I'm like yeah, yeah. He's like he's like Jim, you're on offense. He's like you're an offensive player. I'm like you're right. And he said how are you seeing yourself right now? I'm like I don't understand the question. And so he said um, he's like listen, I'm in your wealth with God program. <laughs> he says I hear what you teach about how you're supposed to see yourself and your identity. And he said how do you see yourself? I said I don't know. <laughs> He said, let me tell you who you are. He said, you are an elite table tennis player in training right now. Yeah. So, I said, I think I, think I am. And he says, he says, you're on offense. He said, everything that has a rise above the net, I want you to attack it. But he says, I was watching you. He said, you're growing weeds under your feet. You've got no footwork. He's like, you're just standing there. He's like, I want you to use your core. Use your core. And so I said, all right. He's trained me to do that. I just wasn't doing it. So the next game, I'm playing this guy, Alan. Alan's using the penhold grip, you know, like the, the Asian style. I've never played anyone like that, and I'm watching Alan warm up, and I thought, oh gosh, this is, this is going to be ugly. Like this is a whole another division, and I thought, no, 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 I'm an elite level table tennis player. I'm in training. I'm going to attack the snot out of every ball that rises above the net. I'm going to follow through, get enough topspin because it's the wind speed that, and the topspin brushing it that gets it. I'm going because the coach is like, hey, are you guys okay with this? Yeah. He's like, it's a one-ounce ball, it's a 250-pound table that you're hitting with a stick. He's like, you're gonna need topspin to control it. I'm like, all right. So, um, and so we, I start playing uh, Allen, and I'm on offense. I am attacking everything relentlessly. And the first game, he beats this game's up to 11. We go into overtime. He beats me 12-10, and he goes, he has no emotion. He says, that was a real nail biter. I'm like, well, show it on your face, you know. So the second game, I'm on an all-out ballistic assault because I'm an I'm a elite level I'm an elite level t- table tennis player. And I'm on offense. I win the second game. <laughs> yes, yes. And so um, I lose the next two games by like one or two points. And here's what Alan says to me. He says, um, he says, man, he's like you are making all the right shots. He's like you've got everything it takes. You just need more table time. Yes. Well, that's a pretty nice thing. I got some good news for you guys. Let me ask you this. How do you see yourselves when it comes to healing? Well, I you don't know if I got enough faith. I'm not very gifted. I don't have a very good track record. I'm here to tell you, you've got everything it takes. You just need a little bit more table time. What's table time look like? Laying your hands on a few more people. Seeing yourself differently. Listen, you've been made one with the three in one. Ephesians 1, 1.3 says that you've received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. How do you see yourself? Well, Jim, I'm just a human. Well, you were until you got saved. Now you're a new breed of species that's never existed before where it's God-inhabiting man. All right. Two more months till the next tournament. If I miss on a Sunday, you're going to be like, hold on, did he go to that lower division? No, I'm not missing on a Sunday to go to lower division. All right. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to look at the woman crippled over double by a demon. All right? The woman crippled over double by a demon. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. I didn't get handouts for you this week. Sorry about that. Luke 13, verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues. This is Jesus. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Oh, boy. Those of you who have been with us a while, just brace yourselves whenever Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. Palm Sunday! (laughs) Laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had the nerve to heal on the Sabbath said to the people, There are six days in which, to work, in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord, said, the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does, eat, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame, And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. What a great story. What a great story. So let's get to the setting of this. So uh, Luke uh, Luke uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10, the first part we read here. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So at this point in Jesus' life, he's moving towards Jerusalem. He's moving towards the cross. Most of the synagogues have shut him down. They won't allow him in. This is the last time Jesus is going to teach in a synagogue. After this, they don't allow him in the synagogues any more than that. But uh, this, uh, the synagogue says he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And for whatever reason, they let Jesus speak on this one. Maybe the guy was a little bit curious. Maybe he was, maybe he was trying to trap him. Who knows? But um, if you've been with us for these last 20 weeks, I think one of the things you know, there's a formula for trouble. Jesus plus Sabbath day plus sick person equals, oh boy, somebody's going to be getting healed and somebody's going to be getting mad, right? And so uh, as soon as I read that Jesus was uh, teaching on the Sabbath, I just braced myself. I was like, okay. There it comes. Jesus is going to be getting it here. And, and he's going to be giving it more than he's giving it, right? Luke 11, uh, 13, verse 11. And behold, it says. Now, that's not a word we use much in English. It seems kind of like Shakespeare. It seems like a little bit old English here. Here's what it means. It means, wow, take a look at that. Like, what is going on over here? So behold, all of a sudden there's this scene. So Jesus is teaching. All of a sudden there's this commotion. There's a scene that's interrupting it. And behold, there was a woman who had been, had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So imagine the woman, she, uh, she's bent over, she can only see the ground. I remember I um, encountered a person like this. So, this is, uh, I was in my Pharisee days still, but I was kind of coming out of my Pharisee days, and I was going after healing, and I was trying to psych myself up. And so, uh, the church I was on staff at was a big church, and they uh, had a nursing home attached to the church. That's not prophetic, it's just actually what happened, okay? And so, there was a nursing home attached to the church that the church owned, and so I was sitting kind of out there in, like, the, in the courtyard. And I'm sitting on the on the uh, on the bench, just kind of just talking to the Lord. And I said, "Okay, God, the next person that walks by, I'm gonna pray for him for healing." And so um, I turn, and here comes a guy bent over at a 90 degree angle. I thought, "Oh God, like <laughs> could it could be someone else, you know?" So this guy's literally he's coming over, bent over at a 90 degree angle, walking like this. I said, "Excuse me, sir." I said, "Um, is there, uh, I said, I'm a pastor of the church here. Is there anything I can pray for?" "Nope, I'm good." I said, well, well, how about your back? I'm fine, and just keep it shuffling. <laughs> I thought, you know, some people, you just, you know, they're just not ready. That's okay. And so, uh, I'll be honest, I was a bit relieved that he didn't ask for it, you know, <clears throat> kind of at that point in my life. And so you can just imagine the sight of a person that they're bent over double, right, from a, from a medical perspective. <clears throat> one commentator thought it was spondylitis ankylopoetica. No one thought they were going to hear that today. Uh, aren't you glad that I'm looking at that? It? Maybe it's some form of osteoarthritis, I don't know. But uh, even though Luke, who was a, doc- Luke was a doctor, Luke was the one who wrote this book, he's not interested in the biomedical uh, side of it. He, he labels her condition as caused by a disabling spirit. Okay, and other, other translations say a spirit of infirmity, spirit of affliction, spirit of weakness, crippled by a spirit... This is something that we've seen over and over again, that sometimes when Jesus is praying, uh, they're seeing that the origin of the sickness is not a natural cause, it's a supernatural malevolent cause, okay? So please hear this. Never, never, never do we read in the scriptures that sickness is a gift from God. The way Jesus approached sickness, it always had its origins in the evil realm, okay? Jesus always approached sickness as an enemy. He was never like, you're so lucky, Dad's Dad's helping to be more like Jesus with this one. And uh, no, that's religious garbage. That's religious nonsense that makes up that kind of foolishness. Was that clear enough? Nonsense, foolishness, garbage. All right. Um, what did Jesus? It's interesting. Jesus, he rebuked fevers. Isn't that interesting? Um, when a person's demonized, he casts out a demon. But even when it wasn't necessarily demon, he's rebuking sickness. Um, so he speaks to sickness almost like it's a person. Like you don't rebuke electricity. There's no personality behind electricity, right? But Jesus, um, uh, you rebuke people, right? You rebuke something with a personality. So here's this woman. She may have some form of osteoarthritis, or what was that thing again? Spondylitis, ankylopoetica. It could be that too. You know, your choice, your choice. And so, um, so here's this woman. And Jesus, sees beyond the immediate diagnosis, and he saw this sickness is caused by his spirit. Okay? Sickness is the will of Satan. Healing is the will of God. On, yeah. you, you have to get that clear. Okay? And so um, the purpose of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. So anywhere you see loss, destruction, uh, death, uh, you're, seeing, you're seeing the fingerprints of Satan. Yeah. Anytime you see loss, you're not like, oh, God's been here. No, no, no. Those are the footprints of someone else. Okay, the the purpose of Satan is to mar mankind who's been made in the image of God. He wants to bring that image of God down. He wants to distort the object of God's love. That's Satan's agenda. God's will is always to make whole, to bring life, to bring healing, not death, okay? So when Jesus is rebuking sickness, he recognizes this is something that is not the part of the will of my Father. He's going on offense against this. He's attacking this thing. There's a confrontation there. And now we see it from the very beginning of his ministry. It's interesting, when Peter... Uh, One of Jesus' disciples, years later, he's summing up Jesus' ministry. Here's what he says in Acts 10.38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Isn't that interesting? Now, don't get the wrong idea. When I say that um, sickness has its it's origins in the evil realm, it doesn't mean that every person who's sick has a demon. Okay? Um, There's people who say that today. I don't believe that. Um, but I believe that when Jesus saw sickness and demons he, uh, linked together, he knew where it was from. But you could, you could say this. All sickness has its, uh, has its origin and sin in the satanic realm because it was not part of God's original creation. When God created Adam and Eve, he wasn't like, hey, get your booster shots. Hey, take your vitamins. Hey, you know, wash your hands. We're good. I'm not saying those aren't good ideas. Well, some of them at least. And so... Um, I, I, what I am saying, though, is it wasn't part of God's resurrection for sickness of man and, and, and bacteria and virus and all these type of things. And so well, we saw what happened when they, when they sinned. It says, And the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And death and decay began to come in uh, as a result of it. So and in one sense, all sickness is a result of sin, but not necessarily of personal sin. Okay? It entered in this world because of the fall of man. Are we Okay? So what if you thought about, like, a spectrum where um, Satan's fingerprints were on every part? So on the, on the far end of the spectrum, we've got sicknesses in the world because of sin, and Satan's fingerprints are on that. And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got someone like uh, we read about that in Legion, where he was possessed by a legion of demons, and he was demonized and cutting himself, and someone was actually maybe possessed by a demon, right? And then we've got somewhere in the middle, we've got this lady who, um, she, uh, she, her sickness is caused by a demon, but it doesn't look like she has one. If you, whatever you, you see on that spectrum there, Satan's fingerprints are all over it, okay? So I believe this woman, she falls kind of in the middle, because if you notice, Jesus doesn't cast a demon out of her, okay? We're told it's caused by a demon that's had her bound for 18 years, but there's no casting out involved. That tells me sometimes Satan can attack your body, and um, it doesn't need the demon to be thrown off. Are we okay? Are we learning some things here? All right, and so... Um, so Jesus, didn't, Jesus never bothered with the symptoms. He always dealt with the source. Okay? A lot of times doctors, what they're doing is they're diagnosing symptoms. They're, they're, they're describing the symptoms. Remember, there was this ridiculous uh, commercial for some pain reliever. I don't remember what it was, but it said, when you haven't got time for the pain. They had like this guy with like these sore joints, probably going to play table tennis. And, uh, you know, and he, uh, it was too sore to play. But he takes these pills, and now he doesn't notice. Them. That's dealing with the symptoms. Right? Like, I mean, I thought, how stupid. Like, your body's telling you're in pain, but you're just ignore it and play through it. You're going to be worse. Anyway, like, that's man's way is deal with the symptoms, okay? But Jesus, he always dealt with the source behind it. Jesus always dealt with uh, with sickness as something that was wicked, something opposite to the will of God, something that must be attacked and hostile. It's an enemy. Why do I say that? Because after 20 weeks of studying this, I know that some of you are still wondering whether or not it's God's will to heal you. We have to see, guys. In 21 out of 21 stories, we're going to see 26 out of 26 stories. Jesus always saw it as an enemy. Always saw it as something that was opposed to the will of God. So he was going to do something about it. How on earth did we get this crazy idea that sickness was the will of God? Okay. Well, it didn't come from the Bible. Okay. I'm sure there's a number of reasons, but um, I think one of the, the primary reasons is there was a time in church history where the church was persecuted. The first couple centuries of the church, they were they were persecuted. People were put to death. And uh, the people who were put to death because of the faith were called martyrs. And uh, the Bible talks about receiving a martyr's crown. And so martyrs were held in high esteem in in church history. And uh, what happened is uh, the Roman Empire got Christianized. And there was no more martyrdom. And so it was like they were looking for heroes. And so uh, religion, man, began to invent this stupid doctrine that says, if you will, uh, like the martyrs suffered death, if you will suffer under sickness, you too will be a martyr. Every person, one of us has heard, you know, um, this is my cross to bear. That's martyr language. Okay? And it came from this stupid religious thing that says, you know, okay, if you endure sickness, you know, it will bring glory to God just as a martyr's life did. No, it doesn't. Okay? I remember, I, you guys have probably heard me tell this story before. When I was in my <clears throat> Pharisee arguing days back in, uh, when I was on church staff in Winston-Salem, there was this guy and this wife, and they were so proud of their sickness they, every week, they'd have a new report of how the doctors were just baffled by their symptoms. And they were just proud of it. No, no doctor could figure out what's wrong with them, and their kids are sick. And all, every time they're, they're just talking about the, the doctors and the, the medical visits and the prescriptions and all this stuff, and they, they, they look sick, they talk sick, they thought sick, everything was sick about them. And, um, but he, he, would, he would always catch me in the hallway, and he would always finish it with um, But this sickness is for the glory of God. And so, you know, I'm in my Pharisee days, but I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm learning some things about healing. I'm trying to figure this out. And, and uh, finally, I had enough of it one day. <laughs> and I said, um, this sickness is not bringing, you glo- bringing God glory. If you get healed, that would bring God glory. Well, man, you could just see the blood pressure rising. You could see the vein pulsating in his forehead. I thought, man, is that thing going to burst on me? What's going to happen? And so, um, so he begins to get angry at me, and he says, my kids are sick for the glory of God. Something came out of me, and these are the words that came out of my mouth. I said, um, what kind of a father are you? He looked at me, and uh, I said, um, if you had the ability to heal your child, wouldn't you do something to heal him? He said, of course I would. He said, I would take this sickness upon myself. I would even die for my child. And as it came out, he, um, he realized, wow. And I said, yeah, Jesus already did that. He already took the sickness. Yeah. So, Yeah. Sometimes we got to get it to an emotional level and just out of the head level. I'll be honest, what was happening is as the words came out of my mouth, I was thinking, I thought he was going to punch me in the face. And so I was thinking, like, how am I going to handle this? I'm a pastor. I'm in the hallway. Like, obviously, after I stop crying, that's what I'll do first, you know. But once I stop crying from the the punch in the face, like, like, yeah, it was just one of those situations. So, All right. To believe that God has given you sickness for a higher purpose is complete nonsense. The Bible shows me God in the face of Jesus. When I see Jesus, I see the Father. I see God with skin on. And Jesus always approached sickness as something that was wrong, something that must be attacked, something hostile. Okay? And so there's never a time where Jesus said, you better enjoy it. It's a gift for my dad. All right. So now when Christians talk about demons and Satan, there's different groups of Christians. Okay? Some Christians see demons everywhere. I remember on there, I was with this one guy. I, th- I thought he was joking. Like, he like talked about demons all the time. And um, so I, I, I thought I'd make a joke. I'm like, hey, do you see a demon under every doorknob? He's like, only one? <laughs> like, like, only one demon? Like, there's multiple demons under every doorknob? That's the one extreme. And these people, they talk more about the devil than they do about Jesus. I've been in church services where they start off the church service by casting all the demons out of the building. Guys, that's the wrong focus. The, 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 the early church was obsessed with Jesus. I think Lord is mentioned something like 700 times in the New Testament. Satan's mentioned just a handful of times. Okay, like, like that should probably be the ratio that we talk about him. Like what Bill Johnson says, he focuses on the devil just long enough to get him in his crosshairs and pull the trigger. The devil loves the attention, but here's the truth. Demons are way more afraid of Christians than any Christian is afraid of a demon. All right. The other extreme, uh, Christians are so terrified at the thought of a demon, they think if they never talk about them and never mention them, maybe they'll just go away. All right. Well, they won't just go away. They are evil personalities who hate uh, children created in the image of God. They hate the church, and so they won't just go away. And um, but the way that we're to recognize the demonic is, is to recognize it's there. But whenever you think of the demonic, the same thought needs to be that they're defeated. So never think of demons apart from defeat. When you think of the demonic, think of a great blazing light of the glory of God, and there's this little black speck in the corner, that's the demonic. And it's about to be extinguished for good. So um, Jesus can see that this woman has a sickness. Got, he got, sees there's something that's got a hold of her back. Uh, the doctors may describe the symptoms, but there's a demonic spirit at work. In uh, Luke 13, 12, it says, When Jesus saw her... Now, we've come across this word saw before, right? We've seen it when Jesus saw the man being lowered through the roof, when Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law. There's so many times, and it's, there's, there's, the New Testament was written in Greek, and it's not the word meaning Jesus took in information from his eyeballs, okay? It means Jesus sees what no one else sees. He sees what's going on behind the scenes. He sees through the exterior into the interior. Everyone else has seen her. She's this crippled woman. She's been like that for 18 years, what seemed to imply. Maybe there was a time when she didn't have the crippling disease. And, um, but when Jesus saw her, he didn't just see a woman who was stumbling around. He just didn't see a woman who came into and caused this, behold, this big scene as she comes stumbling in trying to find a seat. When Jesus saw her, uh, he, saw, he saw the woman. And listen, guys, I, we've said this in a couple weeks now. We need to pray every day that we can remember it. God, give me eyes like Jesus. Help me to see like you see. Everyone else sees a cripple. Jesus saw a woman. He didn't see a stumbling woman. Uh, he saw a pain. He saw a bondage that was focused on that bent over back, and he saw the hopelessness of her condition. And it's interesting how Jesus spoke about it. Okay, So I'll skip a, verse, a couple here. Luke 13, 16. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years? He could have just said 18 years, but Jesus said 18 long years. What happened? Jesus had entered into her pain. He had caught what was going on with her. What's that? That's the compassion of God. As he sees her. Boy, she's been in this like this for 18 long years. And Jesus also saw her faith. Remember, so what's Jesus seeing? He's seeing her pain. He's, seeing her, he's entering in it with a compassion. But he also sees her faith. He saw her as a daughter of Abraham. Did you guys catch that when we read that? The daughter of Abraham. This goes back to Genesis 15 through 18 when God's making a covenant with Abraham. Remember the song of Father Abraham Have many sons? Yep. And so way back then, the song's actually not from the Bible, but um, some of you don't even know the song. I'm not going to teach it to you. So, this was, so the covenant was the beginning of the revelation that we get to walk with God by faith, not through works. So there's this covenant that she's called a daughter of Abraham. So she has this beginning of this revelation that my walk with God is through faith. It's not through, it's not through works. And so um, she, uh, you know, she doesn't have healing faith. She, has, she, has, she just has general faith. And we've seen in other, in other passages, general faith isn't enough to get healed. It's, it's specific faith. So Jesus is going to be doing some things here. Um, so she understood that you know, she was the object of God's covenant blessings and that probably were more available than she was even aware of. And so, so Jesus is saying, listen, because she's a daughter of Abraham, because she's someone in the covenant, it's unthinkable to leave her in this condition. Like you, he's going to say in a second, like, you guys wouldn't do this to animals. This is a daughter of Abraham. This is someone who's, who's inside the covenant. It's unthinkable to just leave her like this, right? Right? Uh, the Greek language could be said, it's a necessity in the nature of the case. It's an absolute must. We can't let this thing go on. She has to be released. All right? So are you getting, are you getting the, the position of Jesus? When he came against, oh, it's not, oh, man, there's all these sick people we've got to pray for. Like, no, no, no. Jesus is seeing them. They have to be released. We have to, we have to do this. This is an enemy to be fought against. Luke 13, 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over. Now, I think this is fascinating. She didn't come to be healed. Okay, We've been around these healing stories long enough. When someone wants to get healed, they make a real nuisance of themselves. They're yelling out. They're following them around. They're, they're doing all sorts of things. This lady isn't doing that. She's, she's trying to attend church. She, she comes stumbling in. She makes this scene. She's probably a little bit embarrassed. Um, other times, people are bringing their friends. Or they're coming up after. No one brought this lady. She's not coming and asking. Jesus picks on her. He calls her. His compassion reaches out and, and brings her into it. So she's turned up in the synagogue, and the fact that he calls her daughter Abraham probably means she's probably been attending the synagogue every week for, you know, who knows how long. So she's in church. She's trying to find a seat, and Jesus calls her forward. I don't even think healing was on her mind. I mean, there's nowhere in the story that says she came there because she heard about, no, 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 she just, she's just stumbling in, in there, bent over. And um, like I said, I know that it says that she has faith. Uh, but that f- the kind of faith that the daughter of Abraham has, says, I'm his daughter. He's my God. I'm part of the covenant people. She's not coming with specific faith. I want you guys to get this. This is powerful, all right? So Jesus saw her, and uh, there's this spontaneous outflow of unconditional love pouring towards her. It says Jesus saw her, okay? He, he sees that it's been this long condition, and he's the one who makes the initiative, not this lady. She's healed because of uh, not because of who she is. She's healed because of who God is being expressed through Jesus, Guys, so many times we're trying to qualify ourselves for healing. We're trying to do things and faith it into action and and work it up. Healing happens because God's the one who initiated this whole thing. Remember, healing's not my idea. Healing's God's idea. She's not even healed because she asked for it. She's trying, bless her heart, just to mind her own business. And Jesus calls her out, and she's probably a little bit embarrassed. I mean, she's already kind of, behold, here's this woman coming. There's probably already this scene being created, and now Jesus is calling her forward. And and when you see Jesus in the Gospels, you're seeing God in action. Okay, I'm seeing exactly what God is like. So so what is God like? Here's this poor, crippled, awkward lady coming in. He sees her like no one else sees her. And without anything on her part, solely on his part, he makes this initiation. I want you guys to see this. God's unconditional love reaches towards you in your awkward, uh, impossible condition and makes the first move. I think a lot of people think God's up there like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm, I'm holy, you're not holy. Uh, Let's see you do a little something-something here before you get get my attention. No, no, no. God's arms are open since the cross. Like, like he already made the first move towards us. We're going to see in a second, faith is responding to what God's already done. It's not trying to get God to do something. If you're trying to get God to do something, you're already in unbelief. If you begin to think, what do I have to do? I've got to pray. I've got to faith. I've got to confess it. I've got to, what have I been doing wrong? Well, you just told me what you've been doing wrong. You're making it all about yourself. She doesn't even know what Jesus is going to do. I imagine she's probably a little bit embarrassed. She's already caused this commotion. Now she's getting called forward. I mean, can you imagine? Imagine like coming in late to something. Someone's like, hey, come on up here. You're like, oh boy. Because he's already teaching. She's already late for the service. (laughs) Service started at 10. They got there at 10.30. How we doing? we call that our 10:30 service. You're welcome to that one. It's like worships an hour. Get there at 10:30. It's like a 30 minutes of worship, just like every other church. This is awesome. So anyway. So she shuffles forwards and you can imagine a condition like this. She's bent over, she can't really see where she's going. It's very awkward. And uh, the poor leader of the synagogue, he knows trouble's coming. I mean, he's like, sick person. She's like, come here. He's like, oh no, this is what all the other synagogue leaders have been telling me about. He checks his calendar, it's the Sabbath. Oh no, this is going to be. So, Luke 13, 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. Fascinating words. He called her woman. This wasn't like, Woman, give me my drink. You know, it wasn't something like that. Um, one translation says, Dear woman, okay? Um, uh, woman was the name of Adam's wife in the Garden of Eden. Eve is the name that she had after she fell. Before the fall, you had the Hebrew word ish for Adam and isha for, women, for woman. Okay, And they were, they were uh, ish and isha were created in the image of God. So he's calling her back to that woman who was created in the image of God. It's a tender. This is what Jesus, um, uh, uh, this is the language Jesus used for his mother. When he said, remember, remember, um, She's like, she's trying to get Jesus to do his first miracle at the wedding. And he's like, he's like, woman, I always joke, woman, my time has not yet come. I always joke that when Mary's like, can you go do some chore? I'll be like, woman, my time has not yet come, you know. <laughs> it's, it's pretty out of context, I'm going to be honest. That's not how Jesus was talking to his mom. And um, he's, he's recognizing this is a woman created in the image of God, okay? And uh, so do you notice he said, you are freed from your disability. He didn't pray he didn't cast out any demons he just said woman you are freed from your disability that's a he just stated a fact all right he just makes a statement i want to suggest to you that he's doing what he sees the father doing all right remember jesus only did what he saw the father do and he sees the uh, he sees this woman the, the compassion of the father is flowing through him and so he begins to declare what the father is going to do we see something similar like this in Matthew. i'm sorry acts chapter 9 verse 34 Uh, Peter's going to pray for a man who'd been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And Peter says, the the man's name is Aeneas. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. No demons cast out, no laying out of hands. What did he do? He was seeing what the Father did. Guys, this is instructed for us. For sometimes we'll just, sometimes Jesus will like, stretch out your hand. Right? What's he doing? He's, He's simply declaring what the Lord has done. The Lord Jesus heals you. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her. I want you guys to get this. Jesus didn't lay his hands on everyone. Okay, we looked at a lot of these stories. He spoke a lot. He put mud in people's eyes. He's spitting on them. He did lots of different things. He didn't lay hands on everyone. He commanded us to lay hands on people. But for Jesus, he didn't actually do it in every single case. So what does the laying on of hands actually mean? Okay, the laying on of hands throughout Scripture always meant you were actually imparting something. It was never just this symbolic act. Come forward, my child, you know, and I'll put my hand on you in a symbolic way. And then you know, no, no, no. It was actually a reality being released. So much so that when um, uh, Jacob was blessing, no, no, Abraham. Remember he had uh, he had two sons. Was that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau? So it was Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember those guys? Father, or grandfather, father, son. When Jacob had two sons, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. <laughs> the older was Esau. He was supposed to get the blessing. Isaac tricks him. Remember, he puts hair on his arms. Apparently, he was like Chewbacca or something. Yeah, he comes in like he's all hairy like his brother. And the dad, he's got failing eyesight, and dad gives the, the, the blessing to the wrong son. I'm reading that. I'm like, well, why don't you like, hey, you tricked me. You know, you know you, we've got, we got a lawsuit clause here. You, know, like, you can't do that. Like this, the, I did the wrong thing. No, no, no. Why? Because there was actually a blessing that was released when he laid his hands on him and said there was a blessing being released. It's like you can't shoot a gun, have a uh, discharge from the gun, make a hole in the wall, and go, oh, no, no, take backs. Like, it's already happened. There's already been an action being released. That's the picture in the scriptures when you're laying on hands of somebody. There's actually something that's happening. It's not just this symbolic act of, I mean, that's how it was for me for years. When we would, um, you know, uh, went to the church, you know, one of the staff of the church, there was three fast songs, two slow songs. And in between the fast song and the slow song, they would quote James chapter five If there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them be anointed with oil. The prayer offered in faith would like, make the sick person well. We'd all stand up there in our dark suits with our little bottles of oil, symbolically putting oil, expecting nothing to happen, and according to our faith, nothing happened. It was just a symbolic thing. We didn't think anything was being released. How are we doing? Good. You could say the laying on of hands is sacramental, okay? A sacrament is a symbol, but it actually conveys what it symbolizes, Okay, God works through earthly things. He doesn't just float around in heaven and just zap people all of a sudden. Like, wow, where did, that, where did that come from? Whoa, that was awesome. A sacrament is not just a symbol but it actually, because it actually conveys what it symbolizes, all right? Another way of saying is the symbols become the experience that they symbolize. So you got water baptism, okay? It's not just dipping someone in water, they come up. It says that there's actually a washing away of sins, there's actually, you're being buried with Christ in that watery grave. There's a cutting away of the sin nature. There's actually something that's happening in the same symbol that's being symbolized. We just took the bread and the cup, okay? And um, you could be like, oh, this is a pretty dry cracker. I could have used a little bit more juice to get it down. You could have you looked at it in natural terms. Or you could have recognized that, you know what? There is something being conveyed when I remember Remember, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So as I'm taking these physical symbols and I'm remembering what they're about, the very power of what they really are comes into me through the symbol. The laying on of hands. okay? It's the same thing. It's, it's sacramental. The life of God flows through human hands, and Jesus, he's showing us. He's showing us how God can flow through a human so we know what it's like when we lay our hands on people. Okay? What happened? Jesus puts his hand on her and he reorders her back. He re- re- rearranges all the bones. He puts the muscles back into place. Uh, he makes whole everything that needed to be made whole. And the love of God makes her whole. And I hope over these 21 weeks that you're learning that just as Jesus' hands were, so now are our hands. Listen, guys, I'm, I'm trying to get this one right in my brain, too. I'm not saying I got this whole thing mastered. What I'm recognizing, though, is, guys, whenever your hand, as a believer, you're... you're, you're fixing your eyes on Jesus, you're you're realizing it's not, I want you to realize this, it's not just your hands. It can't just be a symbolic act. It can't just be a ritual that we do. We have to have this heart-pulsing kingdom reality that this is sacramental, and it's actually conveying. What's 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 it symbolizing? I am the hands and feet of Jesus, and when I lay my hands on you, the power of God can be transferred because they become Jesus's hands. Even though you put them under a microscope, it's still your hands. But it becomes the hands of Jesus. Because he's not just going around zapping people. He's working through people. How are we doing? I love this in Acts chapter 4. There's believers, they're being persecuted, they're praying together. Here's their prayer in Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, of the people who are persecuting them. And grant to your servants uh, to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You're like, hold on. That says, God's going to stretch out his hand. Well, let's look at how that prayer is answered just a couple verses later, Acts 5, 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. God, stretch out your hand. How does he do it? Through people. How are we doing? Good. All right. So if you're a believer, your hands are more than just human hands. They are, in fact, the hands of Jesus to the sick and hurting. And this isn't just for like a special uh, Navy SEAL class of Christians, all right? It's for every Christian. It says, um, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel. These signs will follow those who believe. It's for all believers. Are we doing good? So Jesus, who is our elder brother, the scripture describes him as, he's the first one to show us the way. He's the first one to show us the model of the new covenant, how these things work. You are the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. Uh, verse 13, and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. The shackles are gone. It so says she was bound. The shackles were gone that this demon had on her. Uh, everything's put back in place. And I always want to tell you guys, these things still happen today. These aren't just like cute stories. I've laid my hands on people and felt the tumor literally shrink under my uh, uh, hands. I prayed for backs, and I could feel the bones being rearranged underneath my hands. Guys, I promise you, there's nothing special about this hand, Okay. Especially when it's holding a ping pong paddle, unfortunately. And so, um, but it's getting better because I'm an elite player. And so, um, but uh, these things still happen today. I remember um, we, we did this service somewhere in Columbus. Where we're teaching on healing. And there was a lady who had been uh, shot in a drive by shooting. And so she got shot in the hip. And so she had all this pain in her hip and she limped. And so we prayed for her, and um, all the pain left, and she uh, was able to move normal. And so she was excited about that. And then she puts her finger there and she goes, "I can still feel the bullet." She says, "I hate that thing." And so um, I had seen James Maloney do this, so I just—I didn't really have a lot of faith for it. I was just like, "Hey, I'm just do what he did." And so I said, "Hey, why don't you put your finger on it?" And uh, I said, "In the name of Jesus, just command that bullet to dissolve." And, uh, and I, so she puts it on there and she's like, "I said, what are you feeling?" And I said, uh, "You should start—I said you start feeling it that it's becoming softer." She's like, "It's getting softer." I said, keep rubbing it, and the thing dissolved right under her hand. She felt the power of God go through her finger into that and actually felt it happen. What's happening? There was a sacramental release. Her hands touched the hands of Jesus, and something good happened. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. People are going crazy. People are celebrating. They're all excited, Um, but now this guy's going to get out the book of religion rule book. All right, so he starts preaching to the people. He said, there's six days in which, to work that, in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed. Not on the Sabbath. He's not even addressing Jesus. He's now addressing the congregation and preaching this horrible sermon to them. You could be healed on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but not on the Sabbath. What's that? That's legalism, okay? Legalism says, listen, you're not doing it the right way. You're not doing enough. Here's the message of religion, guys. You're not doing enough. You're not good enough. Mm. Yeah, you're right, and that's why God put me into Christ, so I'm no longer being dealt with based on my behavior or my goodness. I'm being dealt with based on Jesus' goodness. It's a scandal of the new covenant. All the law is capable of is to judge you, to tell you that you're not keeping it. Like people, they think the law is a good thing, okay? The purpose of the law was not for you to keep the law. The purpose of the law was to crush you and show you you could not keep it, so you needed a savior, I'm amazed at people who are like, oh, you, you're still supposed to keep the feast." and well, there was the moral law, and then there was the dietary law, and then the ceremonial laws, and we're still supposed to keep the moral law. Where in the Bible does it divvy up into these different kinds of law? It says if you break one part, you're guilty of breaking all of it. You've got to keep the whole thing, not just. Sorry, I've been on Facebook lately. <laughs> <clears throat> so Jesus straightens out. Uh, yeah, the law and all oh oh this is good. The law and all of its rules could never straighten up that woman. She'd heard the law for 18 years and it didn't help her at all. The law could only leave her dragging herself from the dust, bent over. Interesting, the two people who had great faith in the New Testament who got healed, one was the centurion, he was a Roman centurion, Jesus is like, I've never seen such great faith. And the other was the Syrophoenician woman. Remember, Jesus is like, she's like, even the dogs eat the um, scraps off the master table. It's like, woman, you have great faith. Two women who had great faith, they were Gentiles. They weren't under the law. What happens when you're under the law? You can't have faith because you're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You need to do more. I know what you did last summer. The law could only leave her dragging herself from the dust. The law never caused the whole congregation, the whole synagogue, to go crazy glorifying Jesus. It was the unconditional love of God in the person of Jesus that made them all rejoice and straighten up one lady's spine. And Jesus healed her, not because she kept the law, not because of her great behavior, not even because she asked for it, because he was showing us what God is like. He sees the person and he reaches out in his love. He has to do it through a human, but he showed us the heart of God. Verse 15. Then the Lord answered him. So Jesus is going to speak to their legalism now. He's going to to smoke their britches a little bit here. Then the Lord answered him, "You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his donkey, his ox, or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water?" You can hear Jesus is angry at this. Okay, I mean here they are trying to keep this this woman bound a little bit longer. He's like, "You you two-faced hypocrites! What are you going to do this afternoon? You're going to go out to your barn. You're going to unleash your donkey." and take it for water. You're going to loose your cattle. You're going to look after your animals, but you wouldn't loose or untie this woman. You'd unchain your animals to get a drink of water, but you won't unchain this woman, you hypocrites. They're smoking their britches right here. So you hear what Jesus is saying in this, though. Yes, take care of your animals. That's a good thing. But this woman is of so much more value. Such significance to God. I had a dream this week, and there's something interesting. I don't know what the dream meant. I don't even remember much of it. I just remember in the dream, I had a realization that the word Abba, A-B-B-A, which is the term that Jesus used for his father, right? He, Aramaic was the heart language of Jesus. You see when he's speaking on the cross. You see when he's speaking to his father, he's speaking Aramaic. He called him Abba. That the word Abba is right in the middle of the word Sabbath. And then interesting? What's it mean? I don't know. I just thought it was kind of cool. And so... Um, but whatever it means, because of Jesus, we can find our rest, Sabbath, in our Abba. I can see how this story like this can upset people who are sick. Okay? You might be sitting here thinking, listen, I've tried to have faith. I believe I have faith. I've read my Bible every day. I pray. I go to Zion and get healing prayer, even during the healing services. I'm trying to have faith. I'm confessing my healing, but I'm not healed. And you need to read a story like this. She comes in the synagogue. Healing's not even on her mind. Someone else isn't asking for it. She's not asking for it. She gets picked out of the crowd and gets healed. It's like, that doesn't even seem fair. So I forgot to get permission from Mary to tell this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Because we have a covenant, good times and bad, right? It was right in the marriage vows. This isn't that bad. And so we were going after healing. Oh, this is probably like late 90s, early 2000s. We're really going after it. I mean, we were trying really hard to get healed, okay, when we were under the old covenant, you know. We we're trying really hard to get healed. And Mary had this wart on her finger. And she's like, You know what? I'm going to start by going after this wart. I'm going to get this wart healed. So every day we're praying for it. We're putting oil on it. One time I put some compound W, told her it was oil. And no, I didn't do that. But, but so <laughs> so we're, we're, you know, we're just going after this stupid little wart for months, going after this wart. And Mary had lunch with a friend. And she's like, Yeah, you know, I'm going after this wart on my finger, you know. And the friend's like, Oh, I got this wart too. And, um,. That was it. And the friend woke up the next day and then called Mary. She's like, yeah, I woke up the next morning and the wart fell off my finger. Like, are you serious? I mean, we were like, we were offended. Like, are you kidding me? God, we have been anointing this stupid wart with oil. We've been confessing it. We've been praying. This lady just hears about it and wakes up the next morning with no wart. so some people get upset about that. It's not fair. After all, look at what I'm doing. Look at the faith I'm trying to have. That's the problem. After 21 miracles of Jesus, do you see the problem? The problem is when we're trying to have faith, we're focusing entirely upon ourselves. When you're trying to have enough faith to be healed, the only face you're seeing is yours in the mirror. You're like the little kid who keeps waking up every morning and checking to see if he's grown an inch. You keep looking to see what you've done. You're forever looking. Have I got enough faith? Have I measured up to enough faith today? Faith is the eye of your soul. Faith is the ability to look at God through the person of Jesus and see what he's done. Faith sees what Jesus has done and says, Yes, so be it unto me. That's what amen means. So be it unto me. All faith can do is respond to the God who already sees your need. Right now, I'm not conscious of me having eyes. Okay? I guess I must have eyes because I can see you, but suppose that I began to think about my eyes, and I began to think about it so much that I wanted to take out my eye and look at it. I'd no longer be able to see you because I'm focusing so much on my eyeballs. Okay? I see Christians all the time looking at their faith to see if they've got enough faith to get healed, to see if they've got enough. And here's the thing, guys. When we've done that, we've missed the point. Faith is totally unconscious of itself. Faith doesn't even know it's there, Faith forgets itself because it's so taken up by looking at Jesus, not looking at yourself in the mirror. I heard this story from a mentor of mine. I'm going to close with this story. You guys good? So one of this mentor of mine, one of his best friends was the assistant to E.W. Kenyon. So E.W. Kenyon was kind of the grandfather of the faith healing movement. If Kenneth Hagin uh, was the, uh, the father of the healing movement, the Word of Faith movement, E.W. Kenyon was kind of the grandfather of it. So this guy was the assistant to E.W. Kenyon. See, he knew how to confess, 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 Believe, believe, believe for his healing, okay? And so um, that's how he understood it. uh, Healing came from believing and confessing. So he ended up in Canada, and he got so sick he wasn't able to to come back to America, so he got completely cut off from all of his friends, and he contracted tuberculosis of the skin. This caused his nerve endings to become exposed, so he's in total pain from head to foot. He was in such pain that he would hallucinate and be conscious only for short periods of time. And he said, whenever he became conscious, he said the first words he said were, by his stripes I am healed. By his stripes I am healed. You are the Lord who heals all my diseases. And he began to go through all of these litanies of healing confessions that he had memorized. Then he would go back into hallucinations with excruciating pain, and this went on for a long time. So one time when he came around from one of his unconscious hallucinations, he heard the doctor who's at the foot of his bed. The doctor says this to the nurse, just make him as comfortable as you can. He only has a couple of days left anyway. He said, he said, then uh, the doctor walked out of the room and he laid there and he said there was absolute hopelessness in his heart. And he said, God, I've believed you. God, you're the only one who knows how much I've believed you. I've confessed my healing. I've believed you. But he said, dear God, I'm too tired. I can't believe you anymore. Is that okay? I don't believe you anymore. I'm too tired and I'm too tired to even try. So it'll be okay, God, if I crawled up on your lap and snuggled down in your arms. Would you hold me very tight until all this is over? And he fell asleep into a deep sleep, and when he woke up, he was completely healed and mad. (laughs) And he said, how can I go and testify that the day I told God I didn't believe him anymore, that's when he healed me? And he spent a whole week with God alone asking that question. And he said, God, I told you I believed you, and when I told you I believed you, you didn't heal me. And when I told you I didn't believe you, you healed me. And God said, you never believe me until you stop trying to believe The day you believed me was the day you said, let me crawl into your lap and snuggle into your arms and hold me tight. He said, that was the moment you stopped thinking about yourself and understood that I am God. Guys, I don't know of a better illustration of what I'm trying to say. So uh, just every person in here, why don't we just stand for this one. I'm going to encourage some of you to just give up trying to believe. I'm going to encourage all of you to give up trying to believe and snuggle up into the arms of Jesus. I mean, it's it's like a picture right out of Psalm 91, like a a chick in the shadow of his wings. Snuggle up there. And uh, I trust that God can do this. So why don't you you just close your eyes for a moment. And uh, maybe some of you want to just pray this prayer. Uh, We'll just pray it out loud. Maybe some people just, it'll help some people say it. Uh, Lord, forgive me. me. For trying so so hard to believe. I give up. Let me crawl into your lap and snuggle in your arms and hold me tight. And I understand that you are God and healing is your idea. So I just pray that each person in here would enter into the Abba of the Sabbath. That we would just rest in your arms. We would stop trying so hard. That We would recognize your compassion is flowing towards us. And we say, so be it unto us. We see what Jesus did in the cross, that he bore our sickness, carried our pain. By your stripes, we were healed. Lord, we receive it. Lord, if, guys, if you've got a part of your body where it's appropriate to lay hands on it, I just encourage you right now and just pray that prayer. Lord, I want to snuggle up into your lap. <laughs> oh, let me crawl into your lap and snuggle in your arms and hold me tight. Lord, let me crawl into your lap and snuggle in your arms and hold me tight. I'm not thinking about myself anymore. I'm understanding that you are God, the God who heals. Now, for every believer in here, I've got a commission for you. Learn to see yourself as a sacramental person. When we speak and we lay hands on the sick in the name of the Lord Jesus, in total dependence of the Holy Spirit, just helpless little kids, all we can do, uh, that his gifts are going to flow through us to others. And when it's all over, you're going to look at your hands, you're going to look at your voice box, and you're going to thank God that uh, he used the, the natural to have his supernatural flow through once again, and he'll get all the glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I just thank you that you're raising up an army of sacramental believers. You're raising up an army of people who give up trying to please you, give up trying to have enough faith, and we just rest in the arms of God and say that is enough. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, our teams are coming forward. They'll be the ones with tags on. We'd love to agree with you for some uh, prayer. If you need-